and welcome to the latest edition of Woodman Corner, the Albion podcast where we think you're probably more likely to listen to the end if we don't talk about the rubbish football that we're presently seeing. Um, with that in mind, today's uh, show is principally about Sean Greig, and I'm going to get on to a, a great um, chat I had with him earlier on about his times at the club, what he's doing now, and that sort of thing. Uh, but first of all, I'm here with my uh, friend and co-host, Joe Chapman. Uh, how are you, Graham? Well, you know, yeah, mean, kind of, if we're talking general life... We do this every week, don't we? Every week, so I mean, God, it's just awful, isn't it? I mean, it, I... I we spoke before, and I don't think either of us thought we were going to win against Huddersfield, but I didn't realise quite how soulless and terrible we were. Bookmaker, can I please have odds on West Brom to lose every game between now and the end of the season? Yeah, well, I mean, isn't that the case? So, I mean, it's, I, mean I don't even think I want to talk about what happened on the pitch, you know. Uh, everyone is horrible except Chris Brunt, who's all right. But, um, so it leaves, uh, it leaves Alan Pardew. We're still in our, we, we We're here two or three days later and he's still in the job what do you think why is Alan Pardew still in the job Joe it's uh, well I suppose one thing on one hand it's a case of can Albion avoid any more upheaval off the field we've seen a manager sacked already we've seen a chairman sacked we've seen a chief executive sacked we've seen a chief executive appointed and what what more can be done really now I mean I've got to say, if they were gonna, if they were gonna let Alan Pardew go, it would have been before the Huddersfield game anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who Who are you gonna bring in now with ten games to go? In well, the I think that's really the issue. So I mean, I, I would argue that they could do with more upheaval, really, because I mean, it, it, what what what's there to lose? But but I think my my guess is that the story is they can't actually recruit anyone. No one wants to come. Uh, to uh, you know, no one wants to leave a job to get relegated. No. Well, one yeah, that's to... it now, isn't it? It's it's kind of like you've got ten games left. And a number of big teams to come as well. So you're asking a team to win probably five of ten games, if not six, when they previously won one of twenty six yeah. in the league. That's just it, it, it's how fanciful is that, really? Yeah, for I, I, I don't think we should really dwell on it because they're, they're going down. But the, but I, I, and and the other thing I would say is I mean we could talk about the the kind of. Um, Relative merits or otherwise of sacking Pardew, but I think actually, I, mean, I think the story that the, the the story of Alan Pardew is that they sacked Pulis at the wrong time, recruited the wrong person at the wrong time when the market wasn't right, and I guess now they've bought themselves time by virtue of the fact we know what's going to happen. They're going to finish bottom, so they can um, they can take the time and wait till the kind of right person arrives. They ain't going to get Marco Silva on the foot because why would, why is he going to want to come no. down to the championship? We could probably go back to Portugal and well, manage a yeah, team or something. Of course, he, he he's certainly not going to have his. Um a shortage of options I don't doubt in the in the future uh, the, the the pertinent thing as well I've seen a lot of people talk about it on Twitter in this last week is how long do you leave it before you start facing reality and preparing for next season well that's their that's their one advantage I think they should be preparing for the championship now the one the one advantage of being this poor is yeah. that we have we have a 9 to 10 game advantage uh, 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 advantage over the likes of Stoke who are going mm. down to the last game yeah you should prep now yeah because you look at Sunderland and they are just in free fall. Hull City weren't far behind them. Now, of course, Hull lost their manager, Marco Silva, in the summer. So they had to change then. They didn't have a choice. They were yeah. another team going for um, survival right till the end. Sunderland has been written off for a long, long time and they were just a mess of a club. And I actually thought they made a pretty decent appointment in Grayson. It didn't work out. And I, I suppose that you could argue that the, the problems there are far more deep-rooted. Albion need to kind of, you know, yeah, you need to um, 
be thinking ahead now, don't you? Yeah, I just hope they're kind of cleaning out the. I mean, the problem is there's probably some still some fundamental things that need to be um, addressed, like the way they recruit and that sort of thing. But they need to be doing that now. And even if you know, like I said, even if it's a new manager coming in in the summer, they need to be working towards um, prepping for their for, for the right kind of players for them, kind of straight away. Really, I assume they are. I mean, the agents for for practically all of our players um, are going to be. You know, they're, they're all on kind of fifty percent relegation. Um, deal so, so, so they're all going to be um, prepping for it now so I guess it's going to be kind of forced on them but, but which ones would you actually say oh he's worth keeping I don't know I don't think actually really? it's a, I don't think um, it's actually a matter of that I, th- I think two things about this and it's, and it's pretty disastrous what, I'm gonna, what, I'm, what I think really firstly you can't really a modern football you're not going to negotiate around a 50% wage drop so even someone I'll give you an example like Craig Dawson I think Craig Dawson is going to be in demand to a certain extent in the Premier League probably oh, yeah. towards uh, but, uh, among lower teams he's going to be a uh, ten million pound uh, defender or something more or less. I, I, I don't know. I think he's probably someone who's comfortable and happy where he is. I don't think he's a troublemaker. But I think if 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 you tell him you earn forty grand, you're about to earn twenty grand. But if you went to Burnley, you could earn forty grand. He's going to want to go to Burnley, you know. It's natural. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not a player. He's been at the club a, a, a fair while now, and yet you've got to say that. Would he have a inclination or a a, a, a connection with a club that goes beyond? You know, kind well, of just... well, yeah. Well, he's got, he's got he's got a connection with his family. He's got to raise. He's got to uh, you know, pay for for the rest of his life. So, no, I don't yeah. see it. And, and you know, I think I think Foster might stay around. I think um... Foster's very very comfortable. In he's obviously from around the Midlands, isn't he? And there are others as well. Brunt, uh, yeah, Chris Brunt's the obvious one. Although a lot of people kind of take that for granted, and you never know. Chris Brunt, yeah, he could be in the band as well. I know he's thirty three, but for the same reasons that Craig Dawson and Higazi probably are going to be looked at by. Premier League clubs, you know, in, in the bottom half of the table. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is right. something that we'll come back to. But I mean, I think in terms of this is an actual destabilising thing, really. Because I mean, we, we talked about destabilising before changing the manager, I and mean, what's destabilising is changing your entire first sixteen. It's, and I think, relatively speaking, it's, that's yeah. what's happening. Even if they stay in the Premier League, they'll be changing a massive, massive number. Well, of if they pulled off what is now looking nigh impossible, then yeah, you're right. They'll have the difference. Will obviously be the the, the money to, that they'll have to work with. If they if they remain in the Premier League next season, if it's thought that it, if you're looking at our face value, you're looking at the money's being spent, you're looking at the potential assets that you could sell uh, in terms of names in the squad who will want to be you know spreading their wings elsewhere, and you're looking at Nasser Chadley, Salomon Rondon, Kieran Gibbs, the fact that Krakowiak and Daniel Sturridge will go back, the fact that Barry and McCauley will likely retire, James Morrison's out of contract. That's just a handful of players. Yeah, never mind the ones that are actually there. You think, mm, I wonder. It goes way beyond that. Kieran Gibbs and Jay Rodriguez, and I think Rodriguez. Might say, Livermore's going. I would have thought. That, I mean, there's a, there's a massive long list. So, so anyway, mm. we, uh, the, the, I think I think one of the things I'm going to definitely try and do with um, with Woodman Corner between now and the end of the season is try and offer a bit of escapism. You know, we've, we've talked about the current state of play as it is now, but let's get away from that. Uh, and uh, here's my chat with um, Sean Grieger from earlier on this week. It's uh, Brilliant, good guy. Um, talked through kind of his time under Megson and that sort of thing, and you kind of really get a sense of the sort of bloke that he is. It's a real throwback, isn't it? As well, that you know, he's. Um, it was a happier time for an Albion fan. It was a dressing room you could really get behind. Real, real characters in it, and uh, yeah, it's a great listen. Funny enough, that's what the t- that's that's the point we start off on. Here we go. So I'm here now with uh, with Sean Gregan, uh, who I'm uh, I'm thrilled to say is joining us on uh, Woodman Corner this week. And um, part of the reason is that uh, Sean's going to be one of uh, many 
um, former Albion players who are involved with a charity game in um, in aid of uh, Richard Easel, who you might know better as Albie, who tragically died uh, recently. Um, so, Sean, when was the last time you when was the last time you played? It's a, is, is, is it a is it a rare venture out playing football these days? Well, I'm sure there's there's loads of Albion fans who are looking forward to this and will that will give details about how to buy tickets uh, with the story that that, um, that goes next to this. So, so if I can if I can ask you the the question we ask every everyone who comes onto our podcast, um, have you got a favourite story from your time at the Albion? Do you know, I mean, when I look back, I was a, you know, it's right at the kind of peak of my Albion supporting life, really, that uh, that you were, were playing, and you're not just saying it's one of my kind of favourite players at the time, but it sort of amazes me you're only at Albion for two years, because I do feel like your legacy would, would, kind of, um, would kind of suggest more, but you're obviously there across much of the, um, the Gary Megson era, and... Um, and it's something that you know, we've constantly kind of come back to on this podcast. It's kind of, it's kind of the nature of that. The personalities were there and the, the kind of pressure cooker environment. Can you just talk us through what was that like? What was it like being part of that team at that time? What did it ask of you and, and how did you cope with it? I mean, Gary was Gary. He's a very you know, demanding manager. He, you know, we worked, you know, probably I've never been as fit as I've been when I was at West Brom. You know, we, we worked so hard. Uh, and he was very demanding. He wouldn't. He wouldn't take no, you know, no ball for want of a better word. He he wanted you to train how you played, work hard, do everything right. You know, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea. You know, but I didn't mind that sort of. I, I played under David Moyes, who was probably very similar. He was just starting out at Preston. You know, he's very driven, very very similar to to Gary. Not probably not as hard end as Gary, but. He knew where you were with Gary, that was a thing, you know, it was his way or no, that's the top and bottom, you can sum it up, if you didn't do it, it didn't matter if you'd paid five million for you, you know, five grand for you, he would get you doing the job that he wanted, if you didn't do it, you were out, and as players, you just want honesty, and know where you stand with the manager, you know, you'd always got that with Gary. Have you got, uh, if you were to look back, have you got, have you got, who was your favourite manager you played under, and, and, and how would Gary compare to him? 
Gary was that was I got a great with Gary, you know, there was there was no issues at all. He was like I said, he was very demanding. I probably played in, you know, 90, 95, 98% of the games while he was there. Uh, I think like a lot of people say it's probably, you know, a pretty boring answer, but you know, you tend to take different things from, from different managers, you know, he, he was a very strict disciplinarian, Gary, and but you knew where you were with him, you know, David Moyes when he first came into it, I mean, we were doing Prozone and sports psychologist, you know, back in the late 90s, it wasn't really heard of then. He was sort of ahead of his time, and you could see he was always going to go on to to good things, you know. Played under John Sheridan at, at, at Oldham, was just a total football, you know, probably old school like the last, but you, know, you seem to take little bits and the bad bits from all the managers you've played under, uh, which, I've, which I have done, but as far as Gary, you know, I couldn't say a bad word against him. You knew straight down the line where you were with him, and, and I, I liked that and respected that in a manager. Did you ever get on the wrong side of him? Can you ever think of an instance of where um, where the kind of wrath of Megson um, was pointed in your direction? Not, not really. I mean, we had a few words. I think we were playing Everton at home once, and sort of the style we wanted to play we wanted Jason Roberts to, to run into channels and use his pace and his power and I kept hitting Daddy Dickio's feet and it's one of the most strange things I've ever had said to me I got told off for, for passing the ball to one of our players at half time <laughs> he wanted me to play it down the line and hit the space rather than in the feet which we had, we had a couple of words but the one thing with Gary is you knew who the boss was you know and that, you know, I was captain for a, for a while under Gary and you know whether you were captain or not he would treat everybody the same and you got to respect that whether you liked it or you didn't. At least you knew where you were. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, so that, so that you, we got pr- prior to the Premier League, I'd imagine one of the things in, in time you might be best remembered for is being the lipstick on the pig of, Rod- of Rodney Marsh's comment. <laughs> um, what was that? that in, in some ways, that was sort of praise, wasn't it? But how did you, how did you feel about that, about that at the time? Uh, it, it's water for ducks back, for one or another way. I mean, it's, it's funny because a friend of mine He's got one of these apps. Every time his phone rings, if I call it, a pig comes up with lipstick on it. <laughs> my name. But good. I didn't mind it. Like, I think it was a veiled compliment, you know. I yeah. think he was more trying to have a dig at the album than, and you know, just using me as it. But you know, we didn't take much much notice of, of Rodney Marsh really. And it's it's something that sort of stuck me. The pig with lipstick, which you know, it's uh, you can look back and laugh now, but. Uh, it, it, it didn't really bother us at the time, to be honest. No, no, no. I so, so I was talking to you before about my, one of my, I think my favourite moment of yours, and, I, and I'm, I just wanted to make sure I, I kind of remembered it right. One of the things I liked about you, in no way am I saying um, uh, that, that you were someone that, that, that kind of routinely fouled or anything, but I kind of felt like you were part of a, you, you played part in a kind of psychological battle as well as a physical one. And the example I would I would use, was kind of a period I, I really remember, since when you were playing in the back three, and when you were marking Peter Crouch, I think for Norwich City, and obviously Peter Crouch is probably seven inches taller than you, but I don't think he ever had two feet on the floor at the appropriate times to ever out-jump you. I mean, how did you, can you remember that game in specific, uh, particularly? Yeah, I do. I mean... You know, you come across quick players, strong players, tall players, short players. You know, you've got to, you can only be coached so much by your manager, your coaches. But you've got to, you know, when you get in the pitch, you've got to work it out yourself. And I was never going to jump in the crowd, so you know, as the ball's in the air, I try to use my strength and take him under the ball, or you know, nudge him, or you know, any, any little way you can to, to try and try and win that battle. You know, same with quick players or someone who wasn't the bravest. You give him a dig or you give him a, a growl in the tunnel and give him a good stare at or bang into him in the tunnel. Little little psychological, you know, games like that. And I think, you know, with with Big Dad Moore alongside me and, and with a guard, so Phil Gill, Christopher, whoever it was at the time, you know, we had three big lads there and 
probably looked quite intimidating. And then obviously maybe Lara Sigerson coming in for a while. It was the crazy, uh, the crazy Icelandic <laughs> man. So uh, yeah, I think when you get on the pitch, you've got to work out yourself how how you can get past your opponent. Or, you know. Bending the rules, yeah, but not 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 overstepping the mark. Yeah, that, that, funny. That's what I was going to come on to ask. I mean, it was it was that uh, was it a question of that trying to kind of pushing the rules as much as possible? And can you think of any other any other instances? So I talked about to you about a tall player. Can you think of instances of how you've dealt with a fast player or a um, particularly tricky player? Did you? It, I had it once. I mean, I won't name the kid's name, but when I when I left Leeds United, I went to Oldham, and the centre forward for Leeds had scored lots and lots of goals. He'd been there when I was there. And I just said to him in the tunnel, you come anywhere near me today, you're going to end up in hospital. <laughs> you know, and he went, he went and played on the wing, got took off. And I think I played against him four times in a couple of seasons and he never scored a goal. Yeah, he probably got 30 goals a season every season. You know, you've got to... And he knew, he knew I would tackle him out because he knew he'd seen me in training, he'd been me at Leeds. And, you know, I think... I wouldn't have put him in hospital, but, you know, you, you need to try and, and get over that line and win your games within the, within the boundaries. And, you know, with the cameras about these days and... The, the microphone, you probably can't get away as much as you could do, but yeah, I was gonna... you know, in our era, in our era, you could certainly, you know, and then, you know, we used to get it given to us as well, let's not, you know, let's not uh, beat around the bush, they want all one-way traffic, and that, that was uh, the way it was then. I was going to say that, it did, one, one of the other things I love about that era, I think listening to this podcast get bored of me talking about the kind of the, the mixing, but it felt like the end of an era, it almost felt like that team was the end of an era, the, 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 the things you described there, I don't think happened now, you know, in a social media race and that sort of thing, Things had just sort of changed, and it was it, it was almost like um, that was kind of the, that team was sort of the last vestiges of the kind of um, you know Tony Adams, Vinnie Jones, maybe to a lesser extent, but you know um, players who who played that the, the kind of psychological game, the, uh, the when the cameras aren't looking there, that sort of. Thing. I, feel, I don't know. I don't feel like this sort of thing happens anymore. I could be wrong. I think a lot of it's got to do with. I mean, I've, I've, you know, you watch a lot of football, you watch a lot of youth games, and. The academy system for me is just flawed. I mean, it's you get the ball at the back, roll it about, pass it, pass, touch, pass, little touch, back, back. No, nobody puts a tackle in anybody. I remember when I was a kid at Darlington, playing in the first team. You know, Mark and I was seventeen-year-old Martin, some old pro who wasn't happy. He'd come on a sub, and he just nuts you in the back of the head, or he elbow, or he stands, he tries to break your foot, stand on your foot. Now, yeah, the sun cost swimming that era. You know, academy football now is all nicey, nicey, pretty, pretty, pass, pass, pass. Since these boys go and play men's football, they, they can't cope with it. They're not used to it. So, I mean, I've got some good things, the academy systems. Don't get me wrong, but as, as far as going into real man's football, I don't think it helps. I think, you know, playing against the reserve, old reserve team football, lads who are out the team who are, don't want to be there and they just, you know, want to break it up. It's that, that, that toughens you up and learns you how to survive. And, you know, we had some tough boys at West Brom. Let's not forget that we could go anywhere and have a fight with anybody. Yeah, do you think is there, in the modern game, do you think there's a team like that? And, and, and by which I don't necessarily mean the physicality, I mean the character. Do, do, do you think there's a, is there a team anything like that in the league anywhere now that has the same kind of character I mean, and spirit? You probably look team? at Stoke under Tony Pulis in the early days, you know, they, they didn't have the, they didn't spend the millions on the, on the best players. And, you know, let's not beat around the bush. We weren't the best group of players at West Bromwich Albion, but you know, we all had big hearts. We'd run through a brick wall for for, the, for each other, for the supporters, for the manager. You know, we didn't know when we were ever beat. We were fit, we were organised. So, 
So can I ask about about those those kind of characters? And so, like I said, we've had one or two on, and we've got we've got more coming in. I mean, that, clearly Andy Johnson is a was a huge character. It seems like someone that kind of brought a lot of the team together. Everyone talks about Jonathan Greening uh, all the time. I don't know whether or not that's probably a, a, a um, crossover of eras. But when you look back, like I said, what we try and do with this podcast is, got, is give some sort of insight into the dressing room. When you look back, what, t- talk me through the kind of characters and how you remember the various people and which ones you kind of still remain friends with now. I mean, I'm, I'm missed out, I think, as I left Green and come in, so I sort of crossed over him. Yeah. But John was definitely, you know, lively is a, is a word I would let you use. I mean, you couldn't shut him up. He was brilliant, he was brilliant around the dressing room, you know. John knew his, his limitations as a player, like we all did, but, you know, he was he was as fit as a lot. He'd get around, he'd get stuck in. He's one of them you'd have in your team, and he was brilliant Monday to Friday around the training ground. Same with Derek McInnes, he was the same, you know. And none of us are shocked to see him go on there. To, to be what he to what he is, and us three sort of clicked in that dressing room, and probably were the you know the ones having the banter and doing the bit of mischief and the, the Mickey taking and things like that. You know we could give it and we could take it. You know and then you look at big obviously big Darren Moore, you know the nicest man I've ever met, but you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. I remember once down at Ipswich, I think Lee Hughes had gone in late on the keeper. And uh, there was a bit of afters in the tunnel. And that's the first time I've seen Muro lose his temper, and it wasn't a pretty sight, you know. <laughs> but uh, you'd rather have on your side than that. But now we had a real good mix of, of, like I said, we never had any any lads who didn't want to be there or wouldn't wouldn't buy into what we were doing. One, the manager wouldn't do it, and two, the, the lads in the dressing room wouldn't do it. It was sort of self policed that dressing room. You know, we were all all good lads and wanted the same. Same things. Yeah, yeah, and that was absolutely the. So, so if I can ask you about, we talk, you touched about about leaving the club. I mean, I'd absolutely, I'd absolutely agree. It felt at the time. I mean, I can understand from your career perspective why you know three year contract and so on, but it felt too soon. Um, kind of leaving the club. It didn't feel like. Um, I mean, on some level, you know, it's great because it never because it never kind of ebbed away. But but it didn't feel like the right time. And do you, do you have, how do you look back on that? Do you have any bitterness about the way it ended at the Albion? Not bitterness. I've you know I was really raw and disappointed. You know I, I mean that year we we got back up out of the championship. I, I was captain most, if not all, the games. Yeah. You know Gary had decided to move it on to me. Derek was in and out, in and out. Uh, and after captain the side to automatic promotion, I, you know another year's contract on top. I was only I was only thirty. You know for a centre half, that's a, that's a baby. Uh, talks went on and there was no contract offer. Uh, so you have a decision to make. Do you want to be out of the team with last year contract, or you get a three-year contract offer off another big club? You know, Leeds United. I mean, I'm back. I'm from the northeast, so it wasn't too far away. But you know, it wasn't as though I wanted to leave. You know, I'd have gladly stayed. Uh, but like I said, the contract offer wasn't there. Yeah. I felt, you know, being the captain, being one of those players who got us back in the Premier League, maybe deserved another year. It didn't come, and you know, that's football, and you know, the club sort of went on strength to strength really you can't say it didn't no but I would I would have thought you'd have felt um, capable of being a a decent Premier League centre half that, that year certainly I thought you would you would have been I, I, I think the year we played there I think you know I, I proved I could handle that level you know I think there was a you know a few bits of interest knocking about uh, when we went down you know I, I stayed and we gave it another year and we got back up and that's why I was disappointed I never got offered another year's contract I was after a four or five year deal I had a year another year on top of that I'd have been happy that I, I was living in Solihull loved the area you know had a fantastic time at Albion and would have would have gladly stayed but unfortunately the contract offer wasn't there 
So about, about those kind of players back, back then, Tom, so you mentioned a couple that you were friends with. Are, are there many that you're in touch with now? I know you speak to AJ every now and then. Is there any other Albion players you regularly see? Well, obviously, I was at, uh, I was captain of Alden when, when Lee Hughes, you know, for his, you know, spelling stride or however you want to put it, yeah. he, he got an opportunity to come and play league football again and that was at, uh, at Oldham. So, ended up playing with Hughes there. Obviously, you know, people have, have their own lives, times move on, but you still get text messages and events like this, things like Big Darren Moore, me him and Clem used to travelling together, so you still keep in touch with those guys. I was working at Darlington for, for about five or six years, coach playing. I've seen Hughesy playing, you know, for, for some of the sides around there. So you do keep in touch with people. Yeah, it's not, you know, you, you know, logistically it's, it's it's not as easy as it was. But I think, you know, we had a good set of the boys there, and, and you got some clubs and just move on and don't really, you know, bother people. After that. I think the fact that we still keep in touch tells you what sort of spirit and, and bond we had as a group of lads, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, so, what about um, football? What, what are you doing with yourself now? Have you any any um, plans, hopes for for the future in football? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, and it's you know, I've, I've got me, I've got my badges. It's hard to get back in. You know, you look at the way the trends going now. Unless you're a German reserve team manager at Dortmund <laughs> or somewhere by Munich, you can't get a job. Uh, seen Sol Campbell this week. You know, ex England international top flight brilliant player one of the best seven hours ready he can't get a job anywhere so I'm under no illusions I've been, I was working at Downton which is the club I started as a kid there was three of us there Mike Gray myself and Brian Atkinson who all played for the club you know it got uh, liquidised and put down to the eighth tier of football we managed to get three promotions in four years uh, the manager's now moved on to York City and I'm there part time helping him so I still got my hand in football I enjoy the side of it you know the coach and and as much as anything, I enjoy the gesture room again, you know, the band, because that's, that's, that's what you miss as a player, I think. Well, I'm genuinely absolutely certain you've still got things to to, um, to offer in the game. Again, th- just making the same point again, thinking it back as, as someone who I'd say archetypally at the Albion, sort of thought on their feet in the game, in games, and kind of played a tactical game. It doesn't surprise me to say, you know, where you worked out um, worked out the players as you were going along, because it seemed fairly evident that, that you were someone who was sort of... Um, Mapping it out and t- kind of tactically and and psychologically as games were going on, it all seems quite, it all seemed sort of evident that at the time. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I was never quick, but I could read the game, you know, and I found that you know a lot more when I was coming down the levels. You know, I'd know the run the forward was going to make, or I know the pass that the, the, the midfielder was going to make. I could see it, but I was on my way before before I was there when before the ball when the ball got there. You know, I think you know, I think if you ask any Albion player uh, supporter. You know, I'm never going to be in the, the top 100 best Albion players, but I'm, you know, not one of them could probably say that the, the uh, I, I didn't try and I was never give 100 percent for the club while I was playing for it. And, you know, that's good enough for me if the supporters knew I was always 100 percent, never shirk a tackle or put me in. Then you know that that that'd be good enough for me. Yeah, I certainly think you'd make it into a lot of people's top 100 favourite Albion players. Anyway. <laughs> um, could, so, could I say, sort of generally across the board, when you look back at your career, is there, are there players? Is there, are there particularly players you look back and think? Um, that you had particular kind of feuds against, which, which I don't mind. Be, I don't mean being um, personal. I mean the, the players that maybe you most enjoyed playing against, or you most found difficult playing against. Is there the people you particularly think back to? Uh, I mean, I enjoy playing against you know your big your big target aggressor man. I used to like them ones. Obviously, the little quick ones round your feet. I remember Jim, Jimmy and Defoe's. I think probably his only red card was when we were getting beat three 0 off West Ham. Yeah. I think he, he two footed me, got sent off. We'd go on to win four three. You know, I used to 
I'd relish a battle against the big guy, Dion Dublin, someone like that. You know, your, your Robbie Keynes, who would be like drop off in the holes where you didn't want to go, or like I said, Jermaine Defoe, quick around your feet. But again, you had to sort of work out quickly who you, you know, what your strengths and weaknesses were, the, the players you were playing against, and, and try and deal with that. You know, over my career, I'd like to think I've done that, you know. Do you know, it's interesting, because I feel like a lot of the time when you're reminiscing about the game, you talk a lot about being a centre-half, when I probably think of you more as someone who's kind of a combative midfielder. How, how do you look back on your career in terms of position and the nature of the player you are? It's, it's been funny, really. I mean, I was always a centre-half, uh, and I went to Preston as a centre-half, and we had a load of injuries one day. And uh, Moyes said to me, can you play hold and midfield for me today? And I was stuck there for the best part of six years with Preston. And I think probably West Brom saw a lot of me playing there. But I remember one game, I think we beat West Brom right near the end of the season, 2-1. I think Clem scored a free kick for them. I think I might have scored for, for pressing the deep deal. And I played centre-half that day and did quite a good job at Jason Robertson. It maybe stuck in Gary Megson's mind that, you know, you could get two players for the price of one here. You know, I think the play that United, the first game, Leeds United on, on, uh, on the Tuesday, the Wednesday was at, at home. So I did play quite a few games in midfield, but you know the older you get, the better players you play against. You know the quicker it is in there, and I always saw myself as a centre half. I could play in there, you yeah. know, no worries about that. And did quite a lot for West Brom. You know, me, Kumas, and, and Andy Johnson, or Derek McGinnis played in there. But I'd like to see probably myself as a centre half, really. And have you got any? If you, as you look back on your career, have you got have you got any regrets when you, when you look back? Is there any anything any opportunities you turned down that you wish you hadn't or? Uh, are you just thrilled with the way it went? Yeah, I mean, some of the regrets are not in your hands, you know. There was there was times when I was at Preston before Albion come in, you know, a, a couple of big clubs had come in and I wasn't allowed to leave and that left a bit of taste in my mouth, especially probably a year after the manager left for a big club, you know. Yeah. The, the regret with Albion, you know, not staying there for longer. I absolutely loved my two years there. Uh, I would have loved to have stayed, but again, it was taken out of my hands. So you can't sort of regret something that you haven't been sort of part of. I, su- I suppose I regret what happened and how it happened, but ultimately, then we had my decisions. But the one thing I'd say is I always give hundred percent, and you know, I think you ask any manager, I might have been hard work sometimes over other bits, but they can never say that I didn't. You know, I wouldn't run through a brick wall from on a Saturday and I think like I said not not many supporters of clubs I played for if any can say that so nah, and, 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 you we, know that, that's, that's the way to be remembered as I'd a, like to be remembered anyway as a fan uh, that's something I absolutely appreciate so, so uh, just before I let you go uh, almost never talk about modern football but but I'll, I'll give give it one go do you, do you see much of Premier League do you, have you seen much of Albion this year do you give any reason for hope between now and the end of the season and it's going to be difficult. I think the, the hope they've got is you look at the situation Sunderland were in a couple of years ago. I think they went to Chelsea, they went to Man City, I think they might have went to Liverpool and won. Uh, never say never, but it's going to be difficult. I mean, it was a 13, 12 games left and the seven, is it seven points adrift? But, can, I just, uh, can I just find you? I mean, you look at the time when Brian Robson kept them up. Yeah. I mean, is the situation worse then than it was now? I don't think it's ever been done before. So there is hope. And the, that club's done it before, so 
it needs the fans to get the place rocking. I'm sure they'll want to do that. You know, I mean, I know there's been a few off the field issues, but deal with them in the summer. Let's get behind the, the team at the minute and try and keep them in that league. And just, just finally on that, you know, we talk, t- spent a lot of time kind of talking about character, and I'd say we th- th- they've been making a lot of comparisons to the Great Escape season because we're from a points perspective exactly in the same place now as we were there. But I would say that Great Escape team wasn't very good, but it was um, characterful. Uh, and I just wondered that, just as a final thing, we could talk about it. Is that the key? Albion have got better players now, but it, it, what what do they need from now to the end of the season to go and go and win at places like Chelsea and that sort of thing? Is it good players, or is, this, is it, would you say it's something else? I think it's a bit of steel. I think you know the, you, you need to find that balance. You know when uh, you know when the, the, the ball's in the box to score or to, to stop a goal, are you going to put your head in there? Are you going to put your foot in there? You're going to pull out and think, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll, we'll win next week. It doesn't happen like that. You know, you need your your warriors, I suppose. Every team needs them. You know, we had, we had, we had Kumas, me and John, or Derek, or whoever, go win the ball in a crunch and tackle, give it to him, and off he'd go. He was never going to do, you know, the crunch and tackles for you. But you accepted that because he'd do the other side for you. So I think, you know, you need to pick a team who's going to fight and scrap for every game. I know it sounds easy, but if that means big decisions leaving sort of luxury players out and get some someone who's going to run that extra yard, put that extra tackle in, you, you need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I do. I really appreciate you coming on, and I do wish they had a few more Sean Gregans between now and the end of the season. <laughs> uh, but but thanks ever so much for joining us this week, no mate. Problem, it's, it's really greatly appreciated. Good to speak yeah. Cheers, all the best. Cheers, mate, bye. Thank you. OK, so thank you to Sean Gregan for that. And for more information on the um, on the, the game in, in aid of Richard Eads' family... Um, you can you can see it on our website if you, if you search the story that accompanies this podcast you can see it. So yeah, well, so we're going to end talking a little bit more about the calamitous situation at the Albion. So, so uh, <laughs> back which, to reality, back yes. to the modern day. So Kevin, you're talking just to me now about mm. Kevin Campbell and, and his views on on, yeah. on, on the squad now. Yeah, so I heard him earlier on Talk Sport talking about how uh, he believed the Albion squad from the outside looking in uh, to be you know this. Just a, a, a place of total unrest, and he said that things are coming out now that would would suggest as much. Yeah, that, that squad that he was part of in two thousand and five when he came in, and immediately I know he was an experienced player even then, but immediately he became a real figure in the dressing room uh, of authority and, and and leadership, clean living as well. Yeah, but yeah. everything. Yeah, and they obviously went they went abroad for that same kind of mid season camp, and it worked wonders. They had a bit of. Uh, you know, a finishing ability. Earnshaw chipped in with a few goals, but generally speaking, looking around the place, players you could get behind. You know, Andy Johnson, Jonathan Greening, Paul Robinson, Jeff Horsfield, Campbell himself, Ronnie Woolwork had a burst of matches, and then also as well, real fan favourites like Zoltan Gira and uh, you know, everyone just seemed to chip in, in in one way or another. Well, well, as 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 Gregan said, then it's 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 more about personality than it, and and kind of team spirit. It is about talent, and I think this the team that we've got now being blunt has shown that it doesn't have that. You know, we, we've seen, we've had yeah you know, probably a decade of, of varying teams with uh, with person more more than that actually. You know, I mean the, the Gary Megson team is the go to example of a team where personality outshone everything else. And, you know, we had it to a, to a lesser extent, I guess, with Roy, Ho- Roy, Roy Hodgson and so on. He returned again with uh, with Tony Pulis. Just incredibly, it seems like overnight we've got we've we've slipped into a position where we've got a team that has an absolute absence of personality and responsibility. It's, that's a real shame, isn't it? Because I don't think there's anybody that could have really at the time could have uh, when the summer transfer window closed could have complained about the club's business. No, on paper, crucially, on paper is the term here that. 
that sticks out and, and uh, has, has proven that beyond that uh, it didn't really have as much substance as, as we'd have liked no no I almost think I mean th- th- there's, a, there's an ad- there's an, ad- an addendum to that which is uh, I think we've got so used to so many years of Tony Pulis's teams not scoring goals that we were prepared to overlook the fact we didn't have a good striker in the team but um, but beyond that, yes, they they've kind of done the uh, done the good business. Anyway, we're going to come back to this in weeks to come, I guess. At the risk of actually talking about football as it is now, we'll we'll, we'll overlook the scenario and and um, Alan Pardew and that sort of thing. But in the meantime, we've got some good guests coming up in there in the future. Um, uh, looking back to, to to sort of brighter times gone by. Uh, thank you for joining us and uh, and also watching the album, which is pretty turgid at the moment. And um, we hope you have a better week than you had a Saturday. All the best. Bye-bye.